Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hi, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Today we are starting a brand new series all about ego state therapy and combining it with EMDR and I am thrilled that we're doing this. This is something that I've been waiting to do for months, many months we've been talking about doing this. Um, But before we get started, Jen wants to share with us about one of our sponsors. Yeah, you guys have probably heard us talk about her before, but Catherine Keller is someone that we work very closely with to do all of our web design. She's helped us do a lot of business cleaning, kind of getting everything in place for us to have this podcast and the retreats that we do. So we think very, very highly of her and the work that she does. And we've been able to partner with her um, in many different ways. So I wanted to share with you an offer that she's currently putting out for a free consultation call that could be in developing your business, um, developing the kind of work that you want to do, filling your caseload with clients that you want to work with. Um, So I would just really recommend you guys reaching out to her, hearing what she has to say. She's got a ton of great wisdom, advice, input. She's been doing this for more than 10 years. So she has a lot of experience in the field and especially working with other therapists. That's a kind of a niche population for her. Um, She specializes in working with therapists, specifically EMDR therapists, and helping them kind of find their focus and finding their ideal clients for their practice. So if you have any interest, reach out to her at www.katherinekeller.net backslash EMDR. That's www.katherinekeller.net backslash EMDR therapy and schedule your free 30-minute consultation with her. All right, guys. So uh, also we wanted to mention that the audio is a little different today because like so many of you, (laughs) we occasionally have to go into quarantine and uh, we had a uh, mutual exposure uh, this week. So we're all in our homes on Zoom. So thank you for your patience. No symptoms, thankfully. Yes. Yeah, no, we're healthy and good, but just taking precautions. Um, So yeah. Today we're talking about what is ego state therapy and we're going to begin the conversation on how we combine ego state therapy with EMDR and why we really believe it's one of of the uh, most powerful and fun combinations uh, that we can use. And we're going to do several episodes on this. We're going to talk in depth about several of the things that we're going to introduce today. Um, So today will kind of just be an overview and you're going to hear us uh, and our excitement about using EcoState. But so I'm curious for you guys, do you have any recollection of what was your first exposure to EcoState therapy and, and what did you think and feel when you first heard about this? That was the kind of the first thing that I was thinking about as you were doing your intro. It's like, I wonder where they, where they first heard about yeah. it and what their first exposure was. Um, for me, I remember when I first came across it, I was in my undergraduate program and I remember feeling very validated because mm. it truly was kind of just putting language to some of the things that I thought of in my own mind growing up, I guess, like the inside out uh, personification of different parts of myself um, 
was something that as an only child, I just took to <laughs> just right. naturally of whether it be imaginary friends or whatever, but uh, then seeing the therapeutic power when you start to work with them, um, that's, that's kind of where my, my first brush of it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't remember learning about it in school, like formally. Um, I think I've heard of it more as kind of this cliche of like, oh yeah, your inner child. And right. um, joking manner, like culturally just this conversation. Um, and so that would probably be my actual first exposure to it. And then I remember more formally learning about it in an advanced training or a, a training mm-hmm. after I'd gotten my um, graduate level degree and just mm-hmm. kind of hearing them talk about some ego state concepts. And so that was really piqued my interest of, oh, that's not just like joking. Like we're really looking yeah. at parts of ourselves that have been stuck in the past because mm-hmm. of needs that weren't met um, and experiences that we had. So pieces that we still experience in our adulthood that may resemble something from earlier in our life. Mm-hmm. And, and that really clicked for me. And just in the work that I've done with my clients and had done it to that point, it was like, that just makes so much sense. And then going from there and learning more of the intricate details of, okay, it's even broader than just an inner child. It's so much yes. bigger than that. Oh my God. Yes. I know you mentioned um, Inside Out. Mm-hmm. I think the movie that is one of the most incredible things that um, has had to offer the mental health world. Yes. (laughs) It's really laying out something like this in such an artistic, beautiful manner that is so relatable to everyone and to be introducing that to kids at a young age. I'm a huge fan of the movie and can't, can't emphasize enough how significant I feel like it's been the mental health field. Yes. Yes. It was, uh, I remember when that movie came out and thinking this taught me more than my intro to psychology class. <laughs> yeah, <ever did>. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And as an educator, I, I, I will now show that movie in my intro to psych classes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, or give it as extra credit at the very Absolutely. least. <laughs> yeah, a paper will be written on this that's in right. my classes. <laughs> yeah. If anyone that's listening today has not watched that film, or maybe it's been a long time since you've watched it, encourage you to go back with the mindset of ego state work yeah. and kind of thinking of it through that lens, watch it again. And it, it looks so different when mm-hmm. you go through that angle. Yeah. 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 And it's a beautiful, uh, you know, tool to use with our clients, especially mm-hmm. when we're introducing how to utilize ego state work in their day-to-day life and how helpful and therapeutic it can be just for, um, you know, ongoing self-care, even outside of uh, specific trauma work. And I feel like that movie just introduces it in a really playful, fun, but very, very deep and profound way and somehow manages yeah. to make it accessible to kids and entertaining to adults. So uh, yeah, good job <laughs> to, to the writers of that movie. Uh, But yeah, so I won't go into a lot of detail about the way I was introduced to it because we're actually going to um, share a whole episode uh, separate from this one about my initial exposure to it because it was a personally really profound and transformative experience that happened actually at an EMDR conference. Um, And so there's a a short episode that we'll release after this one where you guys can hear that story and hear me um, just talk about the the personal experience that I had with this um, because it's it's interesting to reflect on it both from the experiencer and as a therapist um, as I was going through that. So we're going to share that separately with you guys and um, 
yeah, I hope that's fun for you to listen to. I had a lot of fun writing it. Mm. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of start with this question of what is ego state therapy? Mm -hmm. So we've been alluding to a lot of uh, elements of it and how Inside Out kind of gives us a, a look into what that can be and the ways that we can utilize it. But how do you guys sort of personally define ego state therapy? Because there's actually a lot of different versions of yes. it. It's uh, it's a pretty diverse um, kind of therapy and very uh, adapted to specific populations and by the practitioners. But how do you guys kind of conceptualize it for yourself? Yeah, I think that word ego state work is a buzzword and mm -hmm. that we throw in often. And yeah. I you know we'll have a lot of consultees say like, yeah, I think I do a little bit of ego state, but what exactly is that? You know, like <laughs> something we kind of throw out there that I mentioned it earlier, there's so much more in-depth work that happens there that's beyond just maybe the tip of the iceberg that, you know, we talk about or what people know of it. So the, the way I would describe it would depend on if I'm, you know, talking to a therapist versus a client. Mm -hmm. um, typically with clients, they may have heard those, that language before. If not, I'm not going to throw those words out there initially. Mm -hmm. it's, it's slightly overwhelming. Um, it can be a huge shift in framework and how yeah. they're making sense of their mental health and emotional health. So with clients in particular, to lay that out and define it, I would more so just be talking about something as, as gentle and easy as, you know, we all experience different, different versions of ourself or different parts of ourself. Um, and even parts sometimes is a triggering word for people. They immediately jump to negative associations yeah. with what you're telling personalities. Yeah. personalities. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break out in panic of that. So different versions of ourself or I'll say, you know, there's, there's therapist Jen, and then there's mommy Jen, and then there's just relaxed, chill by myself Jen, and then there's angry, frustrated Jen. There's the Jen who's upset from something in childhood. Like there's all these different versions of me that may show up um, outwardly or what I experience internally. Yeah. Kind of going along those lines at something very surface level and relatable to the individual that I'm speaking with will be my first kind of toss out there. And then we'll together as I gauge how triggering is this, how um, mm -hmm. overwhelming are these concepts to them, we'll kind of slowly take that process of digging deeper to explore that. Yeah. I love doing this, this podcast with the three of us in our, in our practices, because I get to hear kind of how you guys um, have experienced the implementing of these uh, techniques. And for me, Jen, when you were talking about the parts um, being a triggering, I get that a lot. Um, and But also when you said there's therapist Jen, there's mommy Jen, there's chill by self Jen, you then said there's this Jen that's still upset from childhood. And I think that to me is where a lot of people kind of wait. So not just the yeah. different ways you show up now, but you're talking about versions of yourself that are still in the past. And that to me is where the, the really, uh, when I can get people to start seeing that part, yeah, that, that's a way of viewing the past. That's really where we start getting into the depths of the work for me. And um, sometimes if they can start with acknowledging what's here in the present and what's safe for them, like, oh yeah, I totally am different at home than right. I am in the past. It's easier for them too. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I can start to recognize you know, where do these, these other pieces show up that aren't necessarily just yeah. a product of the present? Yeah. For me, when I start, I, I, I 
when I start working with a client, I'll start with parts of myself language, mm -hmm. um, talking about me, um, so that it kind of normalizes it for, for them. And it sort of just acquaints them with the way of talking that is, um, you know, this part of me feels this way, or, uh, sometimes I'll even paint for them kind of how I understand my internal processing, um, which is very parts oriented. So I just kind of normalize it from the get go, um, yeah. as a therapist that heavily identifies with ego state work. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you were saying, Bridger, about introducing it with this idea of there's this part of me that feels this way, and then there's this other part of me that feels this way. That's yes. such a common human experience that we have yes. conflicting feelings about one situation that I feel like that is a super easy and uh, accessible door in for most yes. people to this idea. And yeah. so it tends to be a really good place to start of the minute that we identify in just a normal conversation that they have conflicting feelings or some ambivalence about an issue, we can introduce yes. that language immediately of, okay, so there's a part of you that feels excited about this opportunity and there's a part of you that's scared out of your mind. Yeah. yeah. What's that like to just notice that you have two different parts of you feeling different things about this right now. Yeah. And in that moment, we're not saying, so let me teach you about ego, ego state, state therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. we just sort of very naturally um, and organically put it in the conversation so that down the road, when we start doing it in a slightly more formal way, it feels familiar to them. Yeah. And some clients just grab onto this so quickly and organically. It's the duck to water scenario because it just really resonates with how they feel inside and how they function inside. Other clients, it takes them a little while to really um, connect with this and be mm -hmm. able to utilize it for themselves. I have, I, I'm not sure that I've ever found somebody that it was just not effective at all that it did not bring some uh, insight or layer of development to the therapeutic process, which is part of why I really uh, lean on it quite heavily is because it's almost universally helpful. Um, and I think for those of us that do a lot of work with dissociation and on that spectrum of dissociation, all the way from normal human dissociative activity to very severe DID, ego state work is the one of the main tools for that entire spectrum regardless of where somebody presents, we still end up using that same tool. And so it's just kind of my go-to uh, way of working um, with dissociated parts, traumatized parts, or just normal human experience of having conflicting feelings about one situation. Um, so I find it to be just really robust and adaptable to whatever uh, is presenting in the room. Yeah, and for those clients who don't initially take to it, it's usually just a matter of time until there's that moment that you almost witness in session where you see the conflict. Yes. Showing up wanting to heal and be vulnerable, but yes. there's something in them that won't allow them to connect yes. and be vulnerable. And then in those moments when you watch the conflict occur and you're able to say, I wonder if there's a part of you that really wants to do this. And this right. other part that's saying, no, this doesn't feel safe mm. to me. Right. And it's like, oh, that's what this is. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I usually start it with the, the phrase <laughs> when somebody says, I don't know. I think both of you have heard me. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. I, love I don't believe in that phrase. Um, <laughs> that's what I'll tell clients when, when I ask them, how does that you know, how does that experience come across to them or make them feel or what do they, what does it make them think of? And they say, I don't know. Um, I, I kind of stop them. And I say, now I just don't know about, I don't know. Um, and I kind of paint for them what, what uh, Melissa, you were saying about the, the spectrum mm -hmm. of there's a part of you that 
feels one way and there's a part of you that feels in a seemingly contradictory way. And instead of explaining the tension that exists between the two of them, you'll just throw up the answer. I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to say that, that is our that here. Yeah. That's right. That's our kind of normal standard answer to the internal experience of ambivalence about a situation. Yep, yep. Because of the, the polar, yes. the polarized spectrum. Yes. And because most people don't have a lot of practice at having a space where it is safe and encouraged or normal to say, well, let me list out the nine ways that I feel about this one situation, yeah. <laughs> except that's a totally normal human experience yeah. that we have this multiplicity of reactions to one scenario and uh, figuring out how to articulate all of that is incredibly therapeutic, but most of us don't get an opportunity to do that. We feel like, um, you know, <laughs> we feel like we're going to be taxing the person that we're talking to if we try to process it that way or we culturally are really fixated on having the right response to something yep. and the minute that we admit that we have more than one response it feels like we're admitting that we're a total mess right mm -hmm. i don't i don't know what You're i think sure. no yeah. yeah i'm not single-minded in my reaction ambivalence literally means of two minds and yeah. so to us we feel like we're doing something wrong mm -hmm. um and so i tend to kind of present that as wait a second of course we have multiple reactions to one scenario You're we're not going to act yeah. yeah we're not going to act on all of them but it's much easier to actually come to a comfortable conclusion and decision if we have the freedom to be honest about all of those reactions in the process. That's beautiful. Um, so that's just kind of one way of introducing ego state, especially at the beginning. But as we move into working with ego states in order to process and resolve trauma, this is where things get real fun in a uh, variable definition of the word fun. <laughs> yes. I will say the, the way that we've been talking about introducing it up to this point has been very informal. Yes. Um, and yes. very kind of foundational or just, just kind of dipping the toe in, getting them acquainted with the language, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a vital piece of introducing this work, um, yeah. starting just with something like Fraser's Table, like first meeting would just be, right. whoa, right. you know. And we're, we're going to tell you what Fraser's Table yes, is, by the yes, way. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. There are more formalized versions of ego state work. Um, and there are a lot of therapists that, you know, because they're trained in these very specific versions like internal family mm -hmm. systems. Yeah. Uh, most of us have heard of internal family systems. It was developed by a therapist named uh, Richard Schwartz and he has extensive trainings. You can be certified to be an IFS therapist. There's a lot of, um, uh, clinics and outpatient mm -hmm. facilities, inpatient facilities that use IFS as their model of treatment yeah. as people are going through their program. And they do beautiful work. Um, the main difference between IFS and what we would refer to as the overarching umbrella of ego state therapy is that IFS has structuralized and defined and named. Assigned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to the usual parts that will present in every personality. Now there's, you know, there's a lot of flexibility within uh, their paradigm to make it individualized and unique, um, but they, they do assume and assign specific roles that we're going to encounter in every personality. One mm -hmm. easy example of that is everybody has the firefighter part of them. 
which is the part that shows up when there's a crisis, steps up to the plate and says, hey, this is my job. Let me handle this crisis. I'll put out the fire and then I'll step back and other parts of me can come forward again. And that's just one you know, brief example, but IFS really goes through and structuralizes and defines uh, the parts of self. Yeah. And that can be really, really supportive, uh, but there are some limitations in that. And so when we're working with a identity structure that is maybe more fractured than that um, or more complicated because of the trauma they've experienced some therapists experience uh, that structure is too constricting rigid. and that was my go ahead uh, rigid yeah 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 rigid um, and so I think that you know if you like that structured feeling of having a manualized experience of something to really walk you through the process IFS is very supportive of that um, if you like me um, don't really care for rules in general, then uh, IFS might feel a little too restrictive and rigid. And uh, But that doesn't mean that we can't do ego state work. But there is more work on the front end as the therapist in collaboration with the client of really defining and identifying what parts that we're working with. And that is one of the initial first phases of doing a more formal ego state therapy with somebody is we have to start to really identify and kind of formalize the relationship um, of those individual parts. And that's where Fraser's family table comes in. Mm -hmm. um, and this was how I was introduced to ego state work. Um, I have also, you know, done this in classes in graduate courses where I introduce ego state work this way and just have everybody do Fraser's family table. Did that for a couple of years. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> I don't know. There was a little too much activation. <laughs> uh, yeah, we learn our lessons. Um, but I'm curious, what, what, how did you guys experience Fraser's family table for the first time? Did you do it yourself? Did, you know, did you read about it? Like, how did you encounter it? I had, and actually we have an interview with Sarah Jarvis, way yeah. back it's very yeah, early beginning um towards the beginning of our episodes yeah, yeah. so if you guys we talk more about Frazier's table in that episode I don't even know exactly what episode it is but it's the interview with Sarah Jarvis it's episode five thank oh, thank you, you. you're like our little producer you know? perks of being on zoom I have my computer right here, <laughs> right here. <laughs> okay so episode five apparently <laughs> talks about a training that she went to um, in Canada where she got introduced and got that technique. And so she brought that, um, we had shared it in kind of a group consultation support group or EMDR and was just like, oh my gosh, this it's is beautiful. So yeah. I had remembered wow. learning not Fraser's table specifically, but similar concepts back in graduate school in talking about DID and, and severe dissociation and just thinking like it was just blowing my mind at that time like the idea of DID in general I yeah. was oh my gosh that just has to be so um, incredible but yet complex but to hear Fraser's table laid out in a way that can be applied not just for severe DID but is utilized can be utilized with any person yes in a really helpful way is when I was like wow this could be truly transformational work with my clients and myself yeah 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 for me there was um it was with a, a counselor and that was kind of the first um experience that I had of somebody seeing and validating my kind of internal world and and normalizing it I remember feeling so kind of uh like strange or um 
skittish maybe of, of telling them about the parts. But then when they did the Fraser's table, it was just like, okay, I'm just going to tell you what parts are coming up. And mm -hmm. they, they just ran with it and started to really tease out the, the relationship between the parts and things yes. like that, which just made me feel, how do you know these things? I didn't say yes. any of this. How do you know that? Yeah. So mm -hmm. just in a nutshell, we're going to get into talking a lot more about Fraser's table and you'll get to hear the details in Melissa's demonstration. But as a little nutshell, it is a an approach, a technique in kind of identifying all of the parts that are present and beginning to get familiar with the interactions, the, the, the way they present, the way that they would show up. Um, so it's a visualization exercise of really tapping into what is that inner working system that we have. And there's some unique pieces of kind of observing and noticing the parts that maybe are near each other or the relationships interactions that are happening amongst those parts. Yeah. Um, I circling back to introducing ego state work tied with this is I've had someone line it out saying it's, it's basically looking at family therapy with the family of self. That's yes. right. And, and I love it laid out in that way. And, and Fraser's table, table does that. If we're talking about inviting the entire family to the table and we're going to sit down and as a therapist, monitor and notice and observe and interact with these in, individuals as if we're doing family therapy, mm -hmm. not to cut any certain family member out, but to say, how do we all work together for the piece of this individual in which is embodying all of you? And yes. so go ahead. Well, I, I love that perspective. I think it's one that also having so much um, uh, like love for family therapy, wh what parts are not, what, what uh, family members are not sitting at the table that, right. that need to be, you know, there's kind of that knowing look around the room that, yeah, the, this person's not at the table and they chose not to come mm -hmm. um, to this family therapy session. Um, why, why not? And really starting to tease that part out of, the reasons why it gives people the, the, the space to say, well, this part of me is scared of this, right. or this part of me doesn't want to be addressed. Right. Or we don't like this part and don't want yes. this part here. Yeah. We're scared of this part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the, um, yeah, the most powerful things for me personally, but then also watching people go through this is that because Fraser's family table and other ego state interventions, it makes this very um, personal and vivid because you're imagining not just the labels, we're not just naming them, but they are seeing these parts in their mind. Yeah. And uh, it is almost always startling mm -hmm. how clear that is. They don't expect it to be as vivid as it ends up being. And so quickly they they can sense and feel that these parts of themselves have some kind of uh, will of their own <laughs> desires of their own reactions of their own they can begin to feel that separateness um, and how much there are parts of themselves that have been pushed away exiled shamed ignored etc and uh, all of those emotions are present in those interactions and um, yeah, it's it's sort of the the wisdom of a picture is worth a thousand words, mm -hmm. right? Fraser's family table to me is the epitome of that. The mm -hmm. amount of insight 
that somebody gets by doing this, you know, 15 minute exercise, even if we're not doing anything other than introducing the concept and creating that space in their mind, the amount of information that they get in such a short amount of time and the amount of emotion that comes up and gets processed in that space, it just, to me, it feels like hyperspeed therapy in much the same way that EMDR does, which is part of why I think that they pair so well together. They pace together very well. Um, it's and like so, a roadmap of yes. exactly what we need to be doing and yes. what we need to do. I mean, it's a beautiful way to map out the work of EMDR or, or any other approach, but that, that early intervention of creating a visual and an image, mm -hmm. now we have a visual map to reference back to and to bring into sessions from that point forward. Yes. Agreed. And yes. an organizational structure to house memories or times of life um, entire networks can be in different parts. You know, I'll, I'll do something like a, like a house or something where all of these, I'll go visit the family, so to yes. speak. Yes. Um, outside of, of ego state, that sounds kind of strange, but it really is helpful for mm -hmm. clients to say, you know, Bridger's going to come to my, to my house today. Mm -hmm. And which room are we going to sit in and talk? You know, which and who, part of who you. needs to be uh -huh. present. Exactly. Yeah, who's going to be yeah. the active participant, what parts of me are going to be the observers, right, and just want to kind of be in on what's happening, but don't necessarily want to participate because they're still trying to feel comfortable with this, with this work and what we're doing. There's just so much about it that um, is built into the premise of it that we could spend so much time trying to find another way to do, and this just does it in a really organic way. Yeah, why would you? Um, <laughs> why would you? Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, I'm in. I'm into going as fast as we can, um, as long as everybody stays within their window of tolerance and well regulated. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, a, it's an important caveat. Um, so I think that it's helpful to start talking about the different ways that we use ego state work specifically within EMDR because it is such a um, adaptable and robust tool, we can use it in a lot of different ways. And uh, so one of the first ways that we use it is part of preparation, specifically with clients that are presenting with a more uh, complex trauma history. And we can feel just by hearing their story like, okay, we're gonna need some extended preparation. This is not a calm, safe place and container and let's go kind of scenario. We need um, a plan and we need to lay a foundation for how are we going to work with the complexities that we're anticipating. And ego state work is one of those um, layers of preparation that I think provides a really solid foundation and a shared language between me and the client so that we can begin communicating about what do these different parts of me need in mm -hmm. order to feel ready for the trauma work that's coming because what I feel is adult me right I feel like oh, yeah okay we can handle this but there could be parts of me that are scared out of their mind of the idea of even going towards these memories and so when we get there and they feel this big rush of anxiety it's surprising yes. to them right yes. I just and, had a sorry I just had an experience uh, of this this morning in, in yeah. a session where um, we were working with a part that was, um, th that had experienced something really traumatic and, um, the adult self, um, the version that the client was now was totally wanting to mm -hmm. process this memory. Um, mm -hmm. 100% was just, you know, they, we did so much mapping of the situation. Um, we knew everything that was going to come up and, and we had met the part that was there. 
uh, the version of, of themselves that was still there holding on to this trauma. Um, yeah. But when we went back, we were confronted by that part and it shut it down. Yeah. It said, no, nope, not letting go of this. And yes. he, and, and the client just went flat faced, um, dorsal shut down, just was not, I mean, in a, in the drop of a hat. And so we had to shut things down, bring them back up. And yeah, so it yeah. is very real. You know, even with some of the resources, the basic resources that we learn in our early training with EMDR, like complex containment, nurture, protector, we may develop those in the general preparation phase of EMDR um, for what satisfies the, the, the part that shows up for that session. This is what satisfies adult me. This is the container that yes. connects mm -hmm. for adult me. This is the complex that connects for adult me or the nurturer is, that's for adult me. But when we get into working with a child part on a child memory, to mm -hmm. have a calm place and a safe place for that little child may not be the beach in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might be snuggled up with a teddy bear, That's you know, right. in their little closet in a hiding place. Mm -hmm. Or a nurturer may not be the same nurturing figure for adult self. It may be something that connects uniquely to that child part. So to be able to say, how do I resource this client based on the work that we're going to be doing and which part we're going to work on. If we're going to work with a 15-year-old self, then we need a specific resources for that 15-year-old so that that 15-year-old has what it needs to be able to work through that trauma. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that same dynamic shows up in all kinds of situations that we sort of realize that one of the complexities of working with people with extensive trauma history, especially if it's developmental trauma, is that it feels like um, doing therapy with multiple people sometimes, even if they don't yeah. actually have a presentation of DID. But because of what trauma does to us, there's a fracturing and a disintegration in the nervous system. So when we actually access that particular memory, we can get a totally different presentation of that person than we're used to. Absolutely. And that's not DID. That's, that is a version of dissociation, but that's that spectrum that we're talking about. And so part of what ego state work does for us is that it helps us not be surprised when we have to build rapport with that traumatized part of them all over again is if there is very little trust even though we've been working with this client for a very long time yep. and that can also be surprising to the client you know and because they do trust us they can feel that but the minute that we access that memory and it's actually activated in their system the feelings are totally different the way they look at us is totally different their body language starts to change and all of that is totally normal um, and ego state work not only helps us understand what we're seeing and conceptualize it but it helps us know what to do because if i can conceptualize this as a um, a different face of the same person Right. It's like, you know, we turn the diamond just a little bit. And now we have a different cut face, same diamond, not a different diamond, yeah. but just a different, uh, yeah, part of the fractal, basically. And so when we're interacting with them, um, being able to lean on what we know about their story, but also build a whole new relationship and a whole new rapport with them, we're also templating for their system how to do that as the adult self that they are for the younger parts that they need to learn to nurture and mentor and protect and all of those things. And so templating it that way for them, not being weirded out by it, not being like, oh my gosh, what do I do? But having, um, having a framework 
to navigate that in and teaching it to them as we go to me as a therapist that feels like so supportive it helps me not feel lost in the complex situations and helps us move with a lot more confidence and anticipation of what we're going to encounter absolutely and that teaching them a strategy and a tool that they can, like they're learning it experientially from us. Yes. And they're able to step in and do some of that same work um, for themselves after they leave our office. Yes. So I feel compelled to remind everybody that this is an introductory episode. So. (laughs) Whole episode just on the state and preparation. That's right. That's right. So yeah, through the series, we're going to do a deep dive on what are the actual interventions that we use? What does this actually sound like in session? We're gonna make it very, very practical. But today what we wanted to do is just introduce the idea and mention that ego state is a way of conceptualizing a case. It's a way of preparing clients for trauma work and building a really robust rapport with all aspects of them, not just the apparently normal adult part that walks in the door. Ego state is really great to use as interweaves in the midst of trauma processing with EMDR. Some of these you were probably taught in your basic training. The most rudimentary ego state uh, interweaves that we're used to hearing are things like, so how old were you when that happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, so that's just like a, a drop in the bucket of what ego state is. It's just uh, helping them shift perspective out of their adult self into that child self that experienced it that is a kind of ego state interweave. Mm -hmm. And there's a million more of them that can be uh, adapted and created specifically for their system. And uh, I find ego state interweaves to be kind of my go-to. That and somatic body-based interweaves are my main two. Um, The other way that it's really fun to use ego state work is is, uh, future templating. So I'll tell like a super brief story just because it's fun and I think reveals the creativity of nervous systems, which is a favorite topic of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, one of the main goals when this this particular client that I'm thinking of uh, has dealt with DID for decades. And one of our main goals when we're working with somebody with DID is to really help them uh, transition to a place of feeling like they, as the adult that they are today, are capable of self-parenting and self-nurturing all aspects of themselves. But oftentimes, because of everything they've been through, they don't really feel like they have access to that part of themselves. And so as counterintuitive as this sounds for somebody with DID, we actually work to create another aspect, another part of them that has not existed previously. And this is very similar to future templating because we are future forecasting. What are you going to need in your future life? Now that we have done all of this trauma reprocessing, now that you're at a place where you feel more stable than you've ever felt, what's coming next, right? And in her case, uh, one of her goals was to feel like she could make decisions in her work life and in her personal life um, in a really, uh, yeah, self-confident way without um, impulsive decision-making because that had been a pattern for her for so long. And so for her, future templating with ego state work looked like going into that inner self, that space that we had created and letting the whole system, meaning all parts of her, imagine together and create the most ideal future mother self. And what came out of this without any prompting for me, um, what she saw in her mind was what she identified as uh, the tiger queen. Now, I could not have come up with that 
in a million years, right? And even if I had, I wouldn't have had the guts to say it out loud. You should pick a tiger queen. Like, no, I'm not going to say that, right? But for her, what happened was she she saw this version of herself very similar to the her that she is today, but dressed in a very royal way and identifying as a queen, but this very, very benevolent and loving queen that all other parts of herself wanted to be near and felt safe being in relationship with. And when I asked her, so why is she the tiger queen? Because when she visualized this, what happened spontaneously in her system was that she saw this giant tiger with the queen that goes everywhere with the queen and is the embodiment of her ability to protect. No one can mess with her now. So in one moment, she gets this very royal, regal, wise self and a protective figure and it all rolls up into one and the next time she came into session she had bought a uh, a necklace that had this huge tiger on it <laughs> and it was just the sweetest thing because she so deeply identified with this is the me that i want to be going forward this is how i'm going to make Beautiful. decisions this is how i'm going to self-parent and we talk about the tiger queen all the time and it's just this beautiful shortcut to when she's trying to make a hard decision to navigate something, what does that part of you feel about this and think about this? Um, so that's just a super quick example, um, super fun example of using ego state as a future templating. And there's a lot more ways to use that, but I like stories and that's a fun one. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. And just the creativity of, like you said, we would never think to create oh. For them who are really relying on their internal systems to offer exactly what it is that she needed in that moment. Yes, yes, yeah. So um, we wanted to end today with sharing with you guys some resources that you can look at. We're going to talk about a lot of, you know, books and articles as we go through this process, but there's a few that we consider just kind of you know, staples in the library, so to speak. Um, and the first one is one that you've heard me talk about a million times, which is Jim Knipe's book, uh, The EMDR Toolbox. He has a breakdown of uh, Fraser's family table in there and uh, talks about using ego state, um, particularly as interweaves, but uh, in other ways as well. So that's a great resource to look at. Um, the other one, which is really uh, friendly, if this is sort of a, a new thing for you um, and you're first just kind of getting your feet wet, wet with how to use ego state work with EMDR, and that's Robin Shapiro's book, um, Easy Ego State Interventions. Um, I actually think that she might have two of them now, but the one that I'm thinking of is the uh, white and orange book. Mm. Um, and she just has lists and lists of different ways of utilizing eco state work as interweaves in uh, processing. So we re recommend that one as well. There's one other resource I wanted to mention on here, which we're going to talk quite a bit more about on the next episode, but it's the book Integrating EMDR and Ego State Treatment for Clients with Trauma Disorders. Say so this isn't a light toe dip into the world of ego, <laughs> the deep dive. It's um, really, really phenomenal content. Um, I'm going to butcher her last name. So, Bridger, you said it earlier. Help me out here. Carol Forgash. Forgash, Forgash. And as also James Knipe or Jim Knipe, he is also an author on that. So, check out any of those resources if you're wanting to expand your knowledge and just kind of comfort with applying ego state with EMDR. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a lot more books and articles and resources, and we'll share some of them as we go along. Um, and uh, some of these are on our list to do uh, a book review for our Patreon uh, members, because we like to do that as we're consuming books for our own sake. We like to share with you what we're finding. Speaking of Patreon, yeah, we're going to talk Patreon. about our Patreon. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so Patreon, for those that don't know, is a, is a way for um, us to invite people to support what we're doing. And that lets us have more uh, time and energy and resources to do uh, these podcasts, which we really love. And that's becoming more and more a big part of what we do um, at Beyond Healing Center. And so uh, I want to direct you to patreon.com slash beyondhealingcenter. Uh, and you'll find there uh, different tiers that we have available um, and different uh, membership goals that we have. So uh, that's a really exciting way for people to partner with us and, and to let us keep doing what we're doing and, and put more time and energy into the show. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Like we said, we're also going to release a demo um, probably a week after we release this one. So be looking for that as well. We know how much you guys like demos and we're trying to do more of those for you. Um, and thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.